You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1964 released in 1968 classic Spider Baby. And it is a classic, too. <laughs> I love it when it's a classic and you say it's a classic instead of not being a classic at all. This one is like an unsung classic. It's one of those films that so many people had asked me if I'd watched and I hadn't for the longest time. And did I kick myself? When I finally did, thinking I should have watched this every day since I was 10 years old, at least. This film was brought to my attention by my mother, of all people, who apparently I have no recollection of this. And so I am branding her a bald face liar, is that she had asked us to do this on the show ages ago. I don't quite remember it, but I remember watching the film and then... When Arrow released this brand spanking new sexy Blu-ray collector's edition of it, which is what, by the way, is what we watched off of today. I had gone back to him and was like, oh, mom, I just watched this movie Spider-Baby. It's so great. Deadpan looks at me. You know, Wes, I asked you to do that movie ages ago. I don't believe her. But anyway. I'm wondering if I can go back through my texts and find when you started talking about Spider-Baby. Because you had talked to me about Spider-Baby before you got the disc. Yeah. So I don't It could have been one of those times you texted me like, hey, me and mom just talked about this movie. Have you seen this movie? You know, I, I, I'd love to go back through my dialogue with you just to see if I can redeem your mom as a bald-faced liar. Because she's not. <laughs> and thank her. For requesting this film. But I did watch it off of YouTube first, and I'm really glad that I did because it really makes me appreciate the beautiful transfer job that's on this Blu-ray. It is amazing. I've seen the YouTube version as well. So, oh my gosh, it's, you know, it's nice to be able to see Spider-Baby. If you have no other avenue to watch Spider-Baby, by all means, watch it wherever you can. But this disc is impeccable it's beautiful and it's when people watch a black and white film especially on youtube because that's where you can find a lot of them or archive.org they're not the best quality and a lot of times they're a very low bit rate so they can house these things inexpensively on a server so to be able to watch this transfer was a real treat it's sharp it sounds amazing i have a whole new appreciation for the score Yeah, it really, really is cool, especially that opening title. It's really fun, really funky. And as we kept mentioning, as I kept mentioning, because this is what I do, how much this just reminds me of a super dark episode of The Addams Family. Yeah, it really does. From the sounds and music, the use of a xylophone for comedic relief. (laughs) Like, it's very, very Addams Family. And even at the very, very beginning, there's a messenger delivering a letter. When the letter is read, there's an appointment with some very important adult appointment stuff that's happening today. (laughs) Right out of an Addams Family episode. The decor, people's reactions to the decor. The only thing missing is having Gomez say... Oh, yeah, that's our Uncle Stanley. You know, that's the only thing that's really missing. It's yeah. very Adam. If you're a fan of old Adam's family, this is a movie for you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because it's almost as if they were to take an Adams Family episode and just amp up the sexiness, amp up the violence, make things even more macabre and kind of take the yucks out of it. Mm-hmm. It's not so much young, fun family sitcom that came out in a, in a more charming age. What Spider-Baby really is to me is a transitional film that people don't talk about. When horror was moving away from William Castle and Vincent Price and Bill Gossi and and the classic era of horror and moving into what we consider the modern age of horror or at least diving driving towards the modern age of horror in 1968 with Night of Living Dead and Rosemary's Baby and then yada yada into the 70s and whatever. We've talked about this before. Everyone really talks about how Night of Living Dead is the big change. I agree. But this film was actually made in 1964 and it has darker sensibilities in it burgeoning towards the modern age of horror while still being firmly planted in old school horror because it's this black and white film. You have Lon Chaney in it. Mm-hmm. You have violence, but there's a lot of comedy in it as well. And you still have everyone sort of walking around with this vaguely 50s sensibility, in particular characters like Peter. Yeah. I mean, right out of Eisenhower's America, right? So it's it really is an oddity. Now, because of the fact that it was released so late because of some uh, uh, production issues. Bankruptcy. Uh, bankruptcy, yeah. yeah. They couldn't really get the film distributed. So when it was in- eventually released, it even becomes more poignant of a transition film because it really is on that cusp of we're waving goodbye to the old days of horror once and for all. And, you know, straight on till morning, it's nothing but blood, guts, cannibalism, etc. And this film, dealing with the idea of incest, dealing with the idea of cannibalism, dealing with the idea of rape, but still putting it in like a really lighthearted... Oh, yeah. Like super campy, but dealing with extreme issues. And there's not really any films quite like that. Because no. they're either diving headfirst into the extremities or the blood and the splatter where there isn't really much blood and splatter. I think they're cleaning more blood off the floor (laughs) than they are showing blood and not really putting a name to all of these things too. They talk about cannibalism, but not like at every turn and people aren't encountering full fledged cannibalism either. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of skirted with, but not unmentioned either. Um, talking about their incest, quite bald-faced, but not making it a huge deal and not, again, talking about it at every turn. The word is really only used once in the film. Exactly. To explain their malady. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you have it peppered in with veteran screen actors of horror long past, Long Chaney and um, Manton Moreland. Uh, from King of the Zombies. I mean, you you have people straight out of like horror going all the way back to the 40s. I mean, like Lon Chaney being Larry Talbot forever. <laughs> and not only that, but being one of the most prominent universal actors because of the fact that he played the mummy. He played Dracula. He played the Wolfman. He played Frankenstein's monster. He played them all. 
And honestly, and this might be sacrilegious to any fans of the universal era of horror. Everybody knows that I'm a big fan of that era of horror. Are you going to say that this is his best role? This is his hands down best role. It really is. And I totally agree with you. And I'm sure that there will people that would give you flack for that. Uh, People that are far more invested in those characters specifically. Yeah. But to be able to see him with no makeup, no mask, no nothing, Mm -hmm. no special effects, no uh, real bounds, Mm -hmm. which makes me want to make mummy jokes. Um, (laughs) It's brilliant and it's touching. And this is near the end of his career, is it not? This is pretty much near the end of his career. And honestly, by the time this film was released, near the end of his life. Yeah. For those of you who aren't familiar, Lon Chaney Jr., the son of the famous silent film era actor Lon Chaney Sr., man of a thousand faces, uh, hunchback of Notre Dame, phantom of the opera, etc., etc., Lon Chaney Jr. first coming up as Larry Talbot in The Wolfman. Now, obviously, you know, in the 1940s when this film came out, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. did an amazing performance of showing a very tortured character a person who very much did not want to be the killer that he became and so it was a brilliant performance but i buy this lon cheney as a broken man that is just old and beaten down and at this point in his life he struggled immensely with an alcohol addiction to the point in which this would have been in that era of filmmaking where he would tell people flat out he's like you got me until the afternoon and then i'm gonna be way too drunk way too drunk to continue anything else and you can see it on his face too oh for sure maybe that also helps this performance because he's got this whole life behind him Mm -hmm. where it's so much easier for him to draw tears which he does a couple times in this film and to really when he's dealing with the children quote unquote the married children you can see a lot more going on in his eyes oh, than yeah. what the lines are giving him, right? Oh, yeah. And, and touching. his performance, I love this film up and down, but Lon Chaney's performance in this elevates this film even higher in my estimation. His scene that he has towards the end where he's talking about his idea to protect the family where he's streaming down tears and they're all crying. That's a brilliant performance. And, and so it blows every other performance he's ever had, in my opinion, out of the water. As much as I love his classic performances from the universal era, they just don't hold a candle to this. He was given the most to do and he did the most with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one's, that scene is really quite touching not only because of his performance, but his lines and the way that he has to approach it. And by that point, you really, really understand his position as their chauffeur, caretaker or whatever, like sort of like erstwhile father. But he's having to kidify all of his explanations for the benefit of the girl so that they don't panic and understand at the same time, which makes the lines themselves probably pretty difficult to really emote with. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't impeccable job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that scene very much. But we're all the way at the end of the film. <laughs> Sorry, I got excited. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I wanted to jump to the middle of the film where they do make many references to the mummy, the wolf man. And it's hilarious, like horror film. Yeah. Yeah, right yeah. in front of them. <laughs> yeah, very meta. Very yeah, meta. Yeah. Which makes me laugh, especially when there's a full moon tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious line. And yeah. I'm wondering if that's the sort of thing handed to him where he goes, oh, really? You want me to say that? Or if he's like, oh, can I say 
there's a full moon tonight. Yeah, right. Because I wonder because I don't really know enough about the 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 actor, the man, to know what he really thought of his own career. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he probably he seemed to deliver the line with a, a lot of conviction. He seemed to be present and wanted to be there. So I'm at least hoping that he got the joke because obviously Jack Hill, the guy who uh, wrote and directed, and this really film really is. Jack Hill's All baby. Jack Hill. Yeah, it's it's an independent production too. That's another thing where it makes it kind of a cusp between the studio horror and the more independent maverick horror that we started seeing more. Yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. And I'm guessing that Jack Hill, it would have been a huge boon for a guy like this to get Lon Chaney to do it. He was clearly a fan of classic horror. And so to add all these little references in it, probably with the mentality of like, look, how many times in my life am I ever going to get to direct Lon Chaney Jr.? And how many times am I going to get him to say the lines that I wrote? Therefore, I want him to say all these things. Well, yeah, it's one thing different. You know, if you get a star in the room and you're like, okay, do the thing, do the thing. You know, (laughs) you you don't want to really do that to anyone. But if you can be sneaky about it and write it in as their line. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Ha <laughs> Anyway, what the fuck's this movie even about? Anyways, Lydia. It is about some unfortunate girls who have been sort of trapped by this horrible world that doesn't quite understand. They just want to have fun. And it's like a whole bunch of squiggly, horrible, black, juicy bugs that are surrounding the spiders and their friends. The end. It's like Watership Down, but with spiders. <laughs> Well, true. Except we're introduced uh, via fucking storybook. It's like story time here. Like Watership Down. Kind of, but yeah. But with a horrible illness that is passed down through incest. Mm-hmm. The Mary Syndrome? The Mary Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it all begins with Ebenezer Mary. He was the first to have contracted this. And his son, I suppose, Titus Mary, who didn't seem to succumb to this syndrome, but his brothers and sisters did. There was two sisters, Clara and the other's name. I don't know if they've been mentioned in the show. And Uncle Ned seemed to succumb to this. His children, so it must have skipped a generation just with him, or not a generation, but at least his genetic makeup, and then infected his three children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it seemed as though... That not only was this person alive long enough to father children, but he seemed that on his deathbed, pretty cognitive because he was asking Bruno, played by Lon Chaney, his chauffeur and I suppose main caretaker of the house, to make all these promises. So it, it doesn't really, it's not really in keeping with what we know of the final stages of Mary Syndrome, which is described as this prenatal, bestral, cannibalistic, monstrous mentality where it doesn't really look like language is really something that they're capable of. And it begins to present at 10 years of age and progresses through the lifetime of the infected, which these people seem to be about 20 years old, the most, 20 to 25 maybe. And... They've already lost most of their faculties and wouldn't be able to deal with things like running a household, amassing a fortune, all of these things that Titus must have done. So it must have not infected him. And not to say that because he's dressed in a suit, 
when when we do get to see how he was left to decompose um because anyone can wear a suit that's quite obvious anyone can dress up nice in this show (laughs) (laughs) well ralph can for sure Ralph does dress up very nice so that doesn't really mean much but the fact that he did keep a nice bedroom and nice clothing and nice things and some sort of cleanliness decorum paid his chauffeur i guess aside from like giving him lodging and food i suppose but he must have had his faculties about him. He just must have. My question is, who would have been the mother to the children? What If it's passed on by incest, does this mean incest way back once mm-hmm. that, that brought this affliction onto the Mary family? Or is this a thing that continues to remain in the bloodline because of continued incidents of incest? So were one of those aunts the mother of the children because the mother's never ever mentioned that's true and that is what i initially thought i thought that while one of the people in the basement would have been the mother perhaps the only aunt that they name is clara and that would make some sense if she had been their mother because she definitely was afflicted Mm -hmm. and it would have been passed down that way Mm -hmm. because that seems that if titus would have not been affected and had children with a girl from outside of the family then maybe it would have skipped the generation unless it's one of those dormant things and not only that but where is this woman yeah would she not be present in some capacity or the kids have killed her accidentally playing spiders which you think that perhaps that would be mentioned yeah definitely it would have been a nice plot point but I just guess that she must be the aunt in the basement. One of the ants in the basement. Maybe she's the unnamed aunt. That would make some sense as to why she's unnamed. Maybe the children aren't aware that their aunt is their mother. Well, maybe not. Dun, dun, dun. They seem to care more about Uncle Ned because that's the character who gets mentioned the most. They care very much about Uncle Ned. I don't know why. Tight family? Hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, I really, I, I'm very close with my uncle as well. And I think my dad and my uncle is, is all, not interchangeable, but like pretty damn fucking close. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they must think of Uncle Ned as the closest thing to their father who's deceased. So yeah, he's the closest living thing to a real father they have outside of Bruno. But it has definitely infected all of the children. You can tell that Ralph is the oldest because it's affected him far worse Mm -hmm. you can tell that elizabeth is the youngest because she still seems the most with it it's not like it doesn't seem to be that bad of a syndrome to have until you reach the point of ralph where you're feral and cannibalistic yeah the girls are pretty cool i would i would hang out with them I, i think they could function just fine in society i mean hell a lot of adults function at that level of fucking intelligence true but not a lot of Adults will tie up people in the windowsill and hack them to bits. Oh, you're right. I thought you were going to say, you know, tying people up. Yeah, adults do that all the time. They do. They Mm do. Uh, So I hear. I read a book about it. But we're introduced to this family via a courier who is going to be delivering a very important message. Now, the neighborhood, the surrounding neighborhood of the of the Mary household seems to at least know that there's something up with that household because they're very much treated them as the villagers around Dracula's castle. <laughs> they're like, don't go to Castle Dracula. 
If there was such a place, we wouldn't know anything about it. And they run away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Take this with you. And they give you like a cross. It's not that. I mean, I thought that this film, this was filmed in 1964. So maybe this woman is just racist and doesn't mm-hmm. like the fact that a black man is approaching her children. <laughs> I had pointed out that they must be used to it because he's the courier and he. this must be his route. And he just pedals around. They must have seen him before. Yeah. But then Wes corrected me. Saying, of course, if this was his route, he would know where their merry house is. Okay, I get yeah. it. She's probably racist. Dealing with the time that this is supposed to be, and it's supposed to be somewhere in the States. Mm-hmm. Is it supposed to be any town? They don't say where it is, right? It's any town USA. Maybe any town USA. Palm Treeville. And if this film was made in 1964, and they're saying that this incident happened a decade prior, then... We're probably dealing with a 1954. Mid-50s, ultra-racist yeah. in uh, Palm Treeville. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a little from column A, a little from column B. Yeah, yeah. But, and that's how come he wouldn't take any mind of it, right? It could have very well been her children that had set everyone at ill at ease as far as the Marys were concerned. Because later on, Bruno says, remember when you had those two children that jumped the fence? And you almost caught them in your spider web mm-hmm. and everyone took notice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that must have been a pretty brutal incident. And it might have very well been her two kids that that had happened to. Mm-hmm. That could explain why she shoes them away from anyone else. Especially people asking about the Mary house. When the caretaker goes to deliver his letter and no one's present, opens up the window, gets stuck in the window. So I don't know how he gets stuck in there, but whatever, he's stuck in there. And then uh, old Virginia is playing spider. Now, spider is a made-up game that uh, you know kids concoct. And the, I guess the idea is that Virginia herself is a spider. She seems to identify with spiders, loves the damn things. And you got to sting them. So she lowers her body into a stance worthy of a fighting game. And then she, with two fucking kitchen knives in her hands. Massive butcher knives. (laughs) And she just fucking cuts this guy to ribbons, cuts his ear off. It's not very graphic, but I mean, the implication is pretty clear. The implication is very clear. There's no blood either, which at this point anyway, which is really handy. But it's her delivery of these blows that the camera is focused on and you can see with what exertion you can hear that snick snack of the blade Mm -hmm. that's all we need to know exactly what's going on and to see his body kicking through the window uh it's done really really effectively for a film that's not showing any real gore at this point but it is pretty brutal i really like it especially when we were led into the scene with like really kind of hokey xylophone music very adams family when oh, people yeah. come to the adams family and they pull the doorknob and it comes out and it makes that auga sound like we're just missing that that's all we're missing yeah um it's like this is this is what the actual adams family would be like instead of oh i'm gonna see cousin it and i'm just gonna run out the house and and uh you know Gomez is going to be like, oh, what was their problem? Yeah. And you're going to walk in and step on the bear rug and it's going to roar. And yeah. And, 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 and then, and then, if, no, it's like, no, 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 no. You're going to enter this house and you're going to get brutally murdered because there's a bunch of killers in here. Which, you know, is where the Adams family was skirting around. They were skirting around yeah. that. This, this macabre darkness that this show had or exhibited 
never crossed that line. You know how many times people walked in that house and got blown to smithereens by Pugsley and Wednesday playing with dynamite? (laughs) I mean, those people died. There were guts everywhere. Just raining down on the fucking neighborhood? Totally. That is what's happening at the Mary house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's a really lovely scene. I like the, the ear falling on the ground, too. It's a nice like, touch. Yeah. It is a really nice touch. And I like that it, it plays in because later when the girls are having to clean up this mess, they secret that ear into a little box and hide it in a writing desk, which is something kids do. They really dialed in with a lot of like things kids do. Mm-hmm. Especially the games. These, these games that they like to play. And not only that, but how... The sisters can work off of each other, both against each other and with each other mm-hmm. when they feel like they're getting in trouble. Because when Bruno shows up, he sees the body and just is more tired of it and said, I, you're not allowed to play spider. spider. Now, I told you you weren't supposed to play spider. Now you can't play it anymore. Yeah, you can't Ever play again. That's your punishment. You can't play this game that you apparently love to play that involves killing people. To me, I think that it would just be very matter of fact for a, a, a young girl like Virginia. She loves spiders. She knows that spiders are predators. And in order to pretend you are a spider, they eat bugs and they sting them. And then they you know, suck the juices out and then throw the carcass away. Cleverly. Cleverly. So it would be very matter of fact for her who has little concept or little care about the idea of life or death. And so she's like, I'm pretending to be a spider and spiders killed their prey and therefore this is my prey and I'm killing them. And she spends a lot of time doing not a heck of a lot in the yard and the countryside and spiders would have been something that she'd studied quite closely and it's very apparent that she's studied them quite closely for all that she knows about spiders. If you don't know much about spiders, this is a great tutorial. It explains a lot about spiders and spiders' lives. But there are a lot of spiders in the house and in the yard. So she's spent a lot of time as a kid. When you get really bored as a kid living in the countryside, you do get very close with these things. The life cycle of a little baby chicken was something that I paid a lot of attention to. Had I been afflicted with something like Mary's syndrome, where I'm beginning to regress into a more childlike state, having spent all of that time plus another 10 years with these creatures, I probably would have been playing baby chicken right about now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, there's some bad news for the Mary household anyways. N- no, it's not that there's a fucking body hanging out their window. No, nah, that's easy to take care of. Oh, hell yeah. It's the fact that people are coming to the house for the first time in a very long time. Today, the 14th, they're fucking coming. Which I do love. Again, very Adam's family to open up a letter and be like, they're coming today. That's today. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's very, it's so fucking, my boss is coming for dinner. Oh, no. 50s sitcom. Very 50s sitcom. (laughs) Yeah. With an irreverent twist. But it is relatives. It is an aunt and uncle Mm -hmm. that have been estranged and maybe they'd never known about them, the house. And their lawyer. Mm-hmm. Because they intend to take custody of the children. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, get control of this family's fortune, which is quite vast. And the idea that both all three of these children are unsupervised, both Elizabeth, Virginia, and Ralph. Ralph, by the way, we haven't mentioned, is played by a very young Sid Haig. Yeah, an extremely young Sid Haig. And I wonder if at this time he meant to go into horror film the way he did 
I'm not sure. I know that uh, he had a, a pretty good working relationship with Jack Hill and, and uh, appeared in a bunch of his movies in the early days. And of course, Sid Haig would go on to fame and fortunes like Captain Spaulding, House of a Thousand Corpses, et cetera, et cetera. He's also in a, a really underrated sci-fi horror called Galaxy of Terror, which I very much want to do on the show eventually. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean, like Sid Haig is Sid Haig needs no introduction. But I remember when I first watched this film, I had no fucking idea that he was in this movie. And then when you see Ralph fall out of that car, I, it unmistakably, is unmistakably. Yeah, it's I mean, like watching old Henry Rollins when Henry Rollins was 19 years old and about 19 pounds and about 19 feet tall, it seemed, because mm-hmm. he was just a string bean in the hardcore collection. Uh, it's it's surreal to see but unmistakably him same with thing with Sid Haig and he has no lines unfortunately because I'd have loved to hear a little bit of delivery but Mm -hmm. whatever he we get a great body performance out of him Mm, absolutely Sid Haig's character Ralph is like you said the oldest and the most infantile feral almost yeah almost a cross between baby and dog we first see him crawling out of the back of the rolls and he's he'd been curled up sucking his thumb and whenever we see him in repose or sleeping he's curled up he's sucking his thumb like a little tiny puppy or a little baby and he sleeps with his bum in the air like a little baby too which um no adults really sleep like that unless they're very drunk Mm -hmm. Uh, the only type of adult i've seen sleep like that um, but he has regressed quite rapidly. And at this point, knowing what we know of the Mary syndrome, he might not have much longer to live. No, he's getting regular visits to the doctor, which is why Bruno needs to leave the house occasionally and leave Elizabeth in charge uh, for the best that she can. But I mean, ultimately, Elizabeth is nearly as vacant as her sister and could easily be convinced to look the other way or just doesn't care, right? Also, Virginia is, even though extremely petulant and a bratty little kid, adult person, she is really overbearing and kind of scary. I wouldn't want to really be the boss of Virginia. Oh, hell no. I don't think you can be the boss of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Like trying to, you can't boss around some three-year-olds either, right? So, yeah. yeah. Can't tell them what to do. They're going to eat cat food. Let them eat cat food. Whatever. Virginia doesn't enjoy from eating cat food. Ralph probably does eat cat food. <laughs> he definitely eats cat. Yes, he does definitely eat cat. <laughs> so the idea is soon this house is going to be just bombarded by normies. Well, who wants their relatives over? We just went through Christmas. Everyone in the world is dealing with that relief that their relatives have gone. Oh, man. We're done. Yeah. All right? We're fucking done. This is worse than that feeling, I guess, because not only are your relatives going for dinner, they're coming to take your fortune away and control the adult children that have a really weird cannibalistic <sighs> disorder that regresses them to childlike behavior. And e- they kill people. Even though the, this family doesn't truly understand the extent of this Mary syndrome, and they are skirting around the idea of it, them being violent and bruno says to a certain effect that they're dangerous but doesn't really hit the nail on the head with they'll eat you yeah <laughs> or why it's dangerous for them to stay there or saying things like don't encourage them they're bound to get a little wild you know mm-hmm. people can say that about children or people but and no one actually means 
wild feral will eat you. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyway. I don't think so either, honestly. Yeah. Now I'm going to watch it when people say, oh, the kids are getting a little wild. I'm going to just run. I mean, I'd run anyway. <laughs> Who am I kidding? When everyone arrives, uh, but the, the fucking, this lawyer character out of a goddamn, like, cartoon, like a caricature of a lawyer, Schlocker, tiny guy, pencil mustache, fucking big old stogie picture bruce mcdonald in a fat suit really <laughs> and you've got this very typical cartoon lawyer yeah uh who's got his uh, secretary with him and then uh uncle peter he's a, he's a fucking nice dude fucking almost probably like the nicest guy in the world just so laid back so cheerful and that doesn't really change and then aunt emily he's a bit of a bitch a bit of a bitch, for sure. And is definitely there to get the estate in order and wrestle away control of these kids who they just think need proper professional care. Bruno doesn't really understand the extent, or perhaps he's playing a little dumb about the extent about which these people want to take away the children. Because he is still going by the fact that he gave a solemn oath on a man's deathbed that he would take care of these kids. And... You know, if it were left up to Uncle Peter, he'd probably work with him. He seems to enjoy the kids. He thinks they're great. He even thinks Ralph's great. And Ralph doesn't come across as very great a lot of the time. Not his fault, but he can be a little bit scary. And But Peter thinks he's great. Peter gets along with him and gets along with the girls for what weirdness they dole out on him. He would probably work very well with them. Emily, on the other hand, you're convinced just from so many comic book villain stereotypes that she's definitely going to pack up those kids, stick them in a home, and have all their money to herself. Mm-hmm. Like Scrooge McDuck, go swimming through piles of it. <laughs> I think that's what she wants to do. Yeah, absolutely. So they have some like adulty, lawyery conversations before even Emily's tired of all of this. She just wants to have a sleep, have some dinner, and talk about this after dinner. I find it absolutely fucking ridiculous that these people show up the day the courier drops off the letter is the day that they're arriving, and they come to the house. And all but demand dinner and also to stay the night. Well, Emily puts it quite bluntly because she says that it seems that Bruno is confused as to who is the host and who is the guest. In their minds, they already own the fucking place. That is true. Bruno is ultimately just a caretaker and a friend of the family and has no legal claim to the property whatsoever. Yep, so they can just bustle in there, unfortunately. And if they have paperwork in that lawyer's satchel that just requires signature of the children if they're adult enough, Mm -hmm. or I don't know what it would need, like the the scrawl from the cadaver of the father to sign over the children and adopt them legally by the aunt and uncle. I don't know what kind of paperwork is sitting in that satchel, Mm -hmm. but whatever it is has them convinced that they basically own the place. For sure, and that would be a really tricky a tightrope act. I don't know how you would handle that because you definitely have. Who are you going to get to sign the paper, Ralph? He, the, the, I, there's no <laughs> way that you can get people at that mental capacity to sign papers and say no, this is legally binding. Well, at that point, their um, guardianship would have made have automatically transferred to the aunt and uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That is why the next sequence is my favorite sequence in this entire film. I absolutely love the dinner sequence. And normally I'm not a fan of these types of scenes where it's a lot of talking heads and it's basically the point of it is to 
you know, freak out the normies, right? Well, it's somewhere in between the dinner scene in Beetlejuice and the dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) It sits somewhere in between those two with a nice beaver cleaver sitcom (laughs) kind of feel to it. Yeah. Mostly thanks to Peter. Peter keeps it kind of in that family-friendly Oh, wow. for sure. He's he's definitely the, the ward cleaver of this fucking bitch. Yes. Very much so. And I adore him for it. <laughs> we need more Peters in this world. Yeah. And that is to say that Bruno does warn them that, listen, we... What's the word he use? Austere. You know, they have a very austere diet, which is how I would describe my diet. If anyone wanted to come over and eat here, it would be like, well, would you fancy a can of tuna? <laughs> How do you feel about all the vegetables you can eat and nothing to dip them in? I'm not going to cook them for you. Like, yeah. Nuts? A handful of nuts. Would, Would you like, like a handful of nuts? I have uh, six saltine crackers, but they're for my lunch tomorrow, so you cannot have them. Yeah. That would be it. It was, it's an austere diet, and I can understand entirely. And that, and even if they have pantries overflowing, it may not be the f- sort of food that people are used to eating, especially uh, typical city people, right? So they've got some souffle de fungi, mm-hmm. which I don't know why they just didn't say mushroom souffle. Yeah. Uh, trying to be fancy, no point in it. They're foraged mushrooms, and that could turn a lot of people off, especially when you have Lon Chaney telling you that Virginia is very good at picking the ones that aren't poisonous and then kind of looming. <laughs> right. And then you sort of look at the camera pans to Virginia and as she's just staring with that just malevolent stare with her neck crane just so just sizing you up thinking where she's going to stick the knife. Like that's how this girl's looking at them all the time. Yeah. Like all I love it. Uh, in particular, the, the, um, the way that both Elizabeth and Virginia play off of each other, just in terms, like acting terms, constantly they're talking about us. I know they are. Just the the weird, wistful way that they speak, which seems very bored ten year old, but at the same time, we've seen these. We've seen one of these women kill already. We know that the other one doesn't have much of a compunction against that. So. There's menace behind these del- the delivery of these lines. Mm-hmm. It's like proper, well-bred children on one hand and Stepford wife on the other. Mm-hmm. The way that they interact. I really enjoy them. And I really enjoy them at dinner, too, because they're trying so hard. And even Bruno says to them, I see you're doing so well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing mm-hmm. so well being human and not killing these people is basically yeah. what he's saying. It, it, and it is what he's saying, but it has to be... For listen, for for a, a family like this that is dealing with this degenerative disease, the idea of having four strangers all of a sudden in your house, and then you're supposed to not only be welcoming to them but act quote unquote normal in front of them, would be a lot of pressure for anyone, especially if sometimes in the, with the you could imagine with this mental disorder that these people have any sort of disruption to routine could probably be a massive risk, right? Because it would just, like, fuck them up. Especially when everything is so very simple and so very black and white, a lot like it is with children. Um, And I remember being 
commended for good behavior going out to a restaurant one of the first things we'd be told after is like i really appreciate that you guys were on such good behavior you know and that's the sort of way that these are these kids are treated and they're also have been given talkings to about good and bad and when they use words like hate i've seen kids and more kids should be corrected when they use words like hate or call one another stupid or say things that they don't care they should be corrected out of that where Bruno does a really good job of correcting the married girls mm-hmm. when they say that they hate something. He's very adamant about like, you know, you shouldn't hate things. You shouldn't hate people. You know, just because something isn't good doesn't mean it's bad. Mm-hmm. And things like that, trying to like expand them out of this very black and white child thinking, which it is very child thinking. And it is even like dogs think like that. You know, the mm-hmm. owner leaves the house, they're gone, they must be dead, I'm all alone, and they have a panic attack. You know, that's how these kids could behave. Mm-hmm. So he has to be really careful. Throw these people into the mix that have all sorts of adult concerns. It's very volatile situation for the mm-hmm. kids. Not just because they might bust out and kill somebody, but they're pretty frail mentally. So why do you want to make them upset? That's true. And nothing would make them more upset than the fact that they don't really seem to be enjoying dinner time whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They don't like their wild mushrooms or their bug stew or their garden salad. The garden salad definitely just looks like a handful of dry grass. I mean, I've had some foraged salads that are wonderful. You can get like a really beautiful set of chicory and dandelion greens, some wild lettuce and stuff like that, throw in some wild leeks or something. Like you can make a really nice salad, but they make almost a joke of it in this with just what is literally a bowl of grass from the front yard. The idea of, uh, or sorry, the sight of Virginia taking the tongs and just like dropping this tumbleweed <laughs> on Emily's, on plate, Emily's yeah. plate and it makes a tumbleweed sound yeah. too. Like, it's, it's hilarious so good. the the meats the the wild game that they got going on is well they think it's rabbit that's what uncle peter says well it's rabbit if i've ever seen one yeah it's, rabbit it's a cat yeah it's, it's a fucking cat looking ralph caught himself a goddamn cat and they cooked it we're eating <laughs> so that's it um that's what's for dinner and pretty it seems i think only schlocker and uh peter eat and emily like pulls something out of her bag and has a little piece of the rabbit meat. Uh-huh. she has a small piece of it there's nothing else really there that's very palatable right i'd have gotten into that mushroom souffle i mean that sounded like the most it looked it looked perfectly and fine the to me. rabbit even if it were cat you know whatever well i mean if you told me it was rabbit i would never know it was cat it's all white meat i wouldn't know Rabbit isn't white meat. It's not? Not really. Well, now I can never eat it again. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But there's nothing else like bread on the table. There's no other salads. There's no, you know, other choices. Uh, A big bowl of green beans or something like that that you'd expect at some sort of like real meal. They They weren't prepared for one, but they didn't really pull out anything extra to, you know, put their guests at ease at all. Especially when they're told, and at this time, I'm sure there wasn't a lot of vegetarianism going on. They're told that the girls are vegetarians. Mm -hmm. Although they're eating bugs. I don't know how that works with vegetarian diet, but, or at least one of them is eating bugs. They have this cat rabbit on the table and then Ralph digs in. Mm -hmm. And we get this sort of like half explanation of, well, Ralph's allowed to eat what he captures. I think the girls are probably allowed to eat what they kill, too. Mm-hmm. The idea of them being vegetarians is the fact that 
apparently, as long as they stay away from meat, it, they more or less stay docile. Yeah, it makes them feral if they eat meat. And I guess Ralph's probably just too far gone that it doesn't matter at this point. There's That's my know, take on yeah, it. Yeah, a little bit of preservation that can be done with the girls for now until they start turning into what Ralph is and can becoming completely feral and infantile. And you wouldn't be able to stop them from catching rats, cats, bats, whatever, and eating them. I think that's where, where Ralph is, unfortunately. Um, and Peter is like, oh, it's like the, the idea that a lion cub is perfectly tame until it gets a taste of meat. And Bruno says, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Which I love the, <laughs> the creepiness and the underhandedness of the conversations, even though he's very blunt about the Mary syndrome and that it is it began because of incest. And they can get very feral if you feed the meat. Sounds like a lot of very clear rules. But then he also gets a little bit sly and cagey when mm-hmm. it comes to the actual machinations of the illness. There's also something that uh, we, the audience, are aware of, but nobody else really is aware of at this point. Although Schlocker's getting wind that there's something up. It's the fact that there is some kind of an elaborate dumbwaiter system. And... We have seen Bruno ditch a body down that way. Makes sense. But we also know that the girls have been talking about their Uncle Ned. And they want to go down to see Uncle Ned. Mm -hmm. And I think that the idea was that um, Virginia wanted to go and see Uncle Ned eat the dead body. Mm Because that is what had just happened. And she said, I want to go see Uncle Ned. And Elizabeth pointed out that she wasn't allowed to watch Uncle Ned. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they're not allowed to see Uncle Ned. They're not allowed to watch him. So to watch him eat a dead body, I mm-hmm. think that's the point of that. There's a lot of little things where you have to sort of make your own mind up about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it's good because I like that it instills the idea that there's a lot of rules in this household that there would be in any household, although not obviously involving the murder and consumption of human flesh. I wouldn't want to know what would happen in this household if these rules weren't adhered to. Yeah. It would be pandemonium. Yeah. Like the the girls killing indiscriminately. Yeah, they probably would have all been locked up in this family would have never amassed what fortune or had a house for any length of time if this had gotten out and everyone was allowed to run amok. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even though there seems to be Incidents where there were close calls, i.e. the children hopping the fence and them almost getting caught. But for the most part, the Mary family seems to be self-sufficient and left alone until now, which is what is really raising the stakes for everybody. And it's made even worse by the fact that, like, Schlocker sees um, Ralph about to serve food to Uncle Ned. So he knows that something's there. Because the dumbwaiter isn't the only way to get down there. It's a convenient way to send bodies down there. And it's Mm -hmm. fun to ride in if you're a kid. Ralph spends a lot of time going up and down in the dumbwaiter. And I'm sure the girls have to. And we'll probably start spending more time in the dumbwaiter if they could because it's fun. Mm -hmm. But there's another way to go down to downstairs. There's a secret stairwell, which I've always wanted. Several secret stairwells behind a shelf, a pantry shelf in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Which is another kind of hilarious comic beat when you see Ralph standing there with a serving platter and it's got the silver dome on it and everything and he's standing and he's just about to open the bookshelf 
And then he kind of looks at Schlocker like, <laughs> which is hilarious. But it sort of stands there like, oh, no, everything's normal here. It's a really good beat. And I think that not only is it great because obviously it pushes the plot forward and Schlocker sees that there's something going on, mm-hmm. but also shows that Sid Haig's character of Ralph has enough presence of mind to be able to follow simple directions. He knows that with guests in the house, they need to keep whatever's down there secret. Well, it gets really plain. It's you can't let them know because they'll tell. Yeah. It's very childish. A lot of the really big, big linchpins in this household are just very childish. Mm-hmm. You need to not kill people or you can't play spider anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't let other people see you playing spider because if they see you, they'll tell. Mm-hmm. And if you t- they tell, you can't play spider anymore. Yeah. That's pe- basically it. Like people will come and try to take me away and I'll never see you guys again. Nah, that might work on them. I think it would have to be tied to playing Spider somehow. I really do. Well, only Virginia likes Spider, though. Elizabeth yeah. never really played it before. She gets interested in how to play Spider, though. Well, she does. And this is after the fact that they're left alone. Now, of course, Schlocker and... Aunt Emily are just going to fucking stay the night, because why the hell not? Oh, they force themselves into there, yeah. And they sort of act very put out when the idea comes up that they should stay in town, maybe at the inn. Yeah, it's funny, because you look around this house, and I was like, listen, guys, this place doesn't look the most hospitable. Anyway, it's filthy. Yeah, there's a point not long after where Emily's walking around barefoot, and I'm very grossed out by it, because the floor is littered with debris. Mm -hmm. There are dolls nailed to every wall in the house <laughs> it's fucking crazy it is fucking crazy if i went into someone's old timey mansion in the middle of nowhere and i could see that children's toys dolls were nailed to the wall some with elaborate fucking art around them crudely drawn spider webs all kinds of shit like that that they're almost like totems to evil i would just say maybe we could stay in a nearby hotel and by the way bruno is tacitly trying to make them feel as unwelcome as possible yeah, like there's not really any room and the, the the girls are used to this certain lifestyle and like i don't know where ralph's gonna sleep and just you know we don't have enough beds and it is decided because schlocker and emily are kind of bullies about it they're going to stay there. It's all fine. We just don't have room for Anne. So Peter better drive Anne to the inn, which they should have all just went to the inn. And like you said, the house is not very welcoming looking and it's filthy. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know what they were thinking wanting to stay there, aside from them being assholes about it. Mm-hmm. But Peter and Emily have already had a conversation about horror films. Mm-hmm. And I like when they go into town in the car, they continue to have this horror film conversation as mm-hmm. they decide to go out for a couple of drinks before going to check at the inn, which is just really cool. And that's where that interchange with Bruno and Anne happens, where they're talking about horror films. And she basically rhymes off all the great roles that he's portrayed in mm-hmm. real life as yeah. Lon Chaney. And very specifically, when she's talking about the mummy, she's very specifically talking about like the mummy's hand, the mummy curse and all that kind of stuff. The ones that Lon Chaney Jr. himself played, obviously, the original mummy was Boris Karloff, but mm-hmm. she's very specifically referencing... The way that he walked. The way that he walked, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which is really kind of cute. And then the werewolf, mm. the wolf man, and she even imitates him a little bit. And yeah. that's where Chaney has his line about the full moon, which is 
a fucking brilliant scene. But it sort of reminds you that you're in a horror film, right? Not long after we get Schlocker peering around the house with a fucking (laughs) flashlight looking for something. Oh, fuck, man. He's like like fucking Scooby-Doo Mysteries, man. Or like any episode of the Addams Family or the Munsters or whatever. It's just here's the normie reacting to rats on the floor and all these taxidermy owls but that's a real one and he seems put off by it but he's not like you know bug-eyed cigarette come or cigar coming out of his mouth with his hair all spiked up like he's not doing that but he's not far off from doing that either no, if it was the adam's family that's exactly what he'd be doing and it really does have those same beats and the soundtrack really helps here mm-hmm. too because they've got that uh, bassoon and oboe going on while he's lurking around the house and when he sees something like spiders a little bit of xylophone like it does feel childish it feels like you're in a symphony production of peter and the wolf oh, like yeah, that's yeah. really what it feels like here uh but it also feels a lot like checking out the house in texas chainsaw massacre yeah it really really does we didn't at the beginning, we we're talking about how Emily might have found a tooth on the step because the house kind of reminds you of the same house. Mm-hmm, it's an, mm-hmm. it's even though it is filmed in the middle of the city, it does look like an old abandoned country mansion, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, not abandoned, but well, could be. It's filthy enough. But he's looking around, and this is where we get a really good look at the house and how there is a doll nailed to every wall in a room, and there are what looks like a shotgun splatter of blood on one wall. He doesn't seem to notice. There's handprints, bloody handprints, which aren't just like child artwork, because it's been established these are infantile adults. Um, But it is definitely bloody handprints. It looks like someone had had a hard time in that room trying to escape. Uh, It's just very creepy. And the rats and the debris. Mm -hmm. He's not really reacting to all of that. And we were wondering, like, what is it that he's looking for? Because he's looking all around the house to get to that shelf in the kitchen that opens, that pantry. Mm -hmm. But he definitely looks all around the house. He even looks in the writing desk. Yeah, which is really interesting. You open up the writing desk and then he has, for some weird stretch of the imagination, he decides to grab the very box that has the courier's ear in it. And even when he opens it up and sees that is a man's ear, he puts it back very, like, kind of grossly. And he's looking in. Now, we've seen previously that from this writing desk, uh, Virginia's tarantulas are in there. And so we think that perhaps maybe for a second he might get bit by one of the spiders. But that's not really what happens at all. And by the way, the girls are not fucking feeling this guy's existence. A, they know he's roaming around the house. B, Virginia has seen him kill one of the fucking spiders, which she loves and even emily said that she hates spiders so she probably has a bit of vendetta against her too that's true and in this scene when the girls make their decision to make the move that they're gonna make it's not virginia who is easily the most violent of all the three kids um it's elizabeth that's kind of pointing her sister towards schlocker in a way saying so you, the, how do you play spider? Is it really fun? Like, you know, he's going to tell, you know, they, and, and so she's really very subtly egging her sister on because they need to be on the same page about this. And but, all she needs for verification that this is working is for Virginia to say, he looks like a big fat bug. Oh yeah. Which you know that she, he's, his goose is as good as cooked. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And sure enough, when Schlocker gets down to the area where there's that secret door, 
he almost gets fucking pinched by some gnarled arms coming out of the basement. He doesn't seem, again, too concerned with that. In Which the... is fucking dumb. There's bloody handprints, a guy's here in a box, and there's people in the basement. And all he has to say about it is, oh, girls, this has gone on far enough. You know, decency. And, uh, like, he's just fucking... It makes no sense to me because he's so animated in any every other scene that he's in. And the one scene or the many scenes where he's stalking this house by himself and then is finally confronted from the girls, I feel he's the most muted. Yeah, this is beyond the bounds of prudence and good taste, he says. Which, <laughs> you know, you would expect him to go flying at them with a lit cigar and fucking rampant pointed legalese or something mm. and be a little more, you know, hot-blooded about all this. But instead, mm. he's just stammering. Maybe he's scared. Maybe he's traumatized by everything he's I'm, seen. I mean, this is the first time we see the, the girls and their hair has been teased in such a way. And they're they just looking at him with this dead expression and they're backlit it's very like it looks like the box art for kiss of the spider woman or something <laughs> that backlight them looming over him on the stairs and together mm -hmm. impassable mm -hmm. and of course you know virginia is completely armed like she has her fucking butcher knives mm -hmm. that she's so adept with and and fucking like elizabeth like grabs like a fucking pitchfork, pitchfork. yeah there's just implements all over this house. I had to point out that that isn't how you play Spider. She doesn't seem to get it. And you, thank God, chimed in with, it's her first time. It's her first time playing Spider. It's her modified version. The modified Be version of Spider with a pitchfork. Holy oh, fuck, because they jump on Schlocker and just stab the shit out of him. And the next time we see Schlocker, he's like dead in the same way a fucking cartoon character is dead. Just like head just like twisting and his eyes open and he's going up the dumb waiter. And by the way, this entire time, uh, Emily hasn't heard a fucking lick of this. Oh, I thought you were saying this entire time he had a cigar in his mouth, which he did. Well, he did have a cigar in his mouth the entire time and a flashlight in his hand and never, even when he's dead, he still has it in his hand. Yeah. It's fucking funny. But this entire time, for some reason, Aunt Emily has gone rifled through clothing and found some lingerie yeah it's a merry widow she has a full garter belt and negligee ensemble and it's really pretty it looks like something that dr frankenfurter would wear mm -hmm. um, apparently the actress picked it out herself oh i can believe it it's a classic merry widow is what that get up is called and it's very becoming it looks great the bustier she has enhances her decolletage just perfectly mm. um wonderful looking girl and she thinks so herself because she's dancing in front of a mirror <laughs> for what feels like 45 minutes she starts out dancing in front of a mirror we have this entire exchange with the girls and schlocker and then we cut back to aunt emily still dancing in front of the mirror just like oh it's got like it's so flowy like a dreamweaver oh my god video outtake it's crazy <laughs> it's hilarious and she's got a little fan because or Alf's been watching her upside down hanging from a fucking window the entire time. Very reminiscent of the Count Dracula. We could scale upside down on the brick walls. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I really enjoyed that uh, that creepy bit. Mm -hmm. And part of me wants to think, OK, he's like the mind of a four year old. He doesn't know what he's looking at. But then he is a grown man. He is a with grown, grown man, man needs. With grown man needs. Capital N needs. Hell yeah. 
And when she sees that she's been peeped on, she fucking instantly runs out the room. I, I guess now we establish she's been wearing heels this whole time. Thank God, because she was barefoot earlier and I was like choking on vomit. <laughs> and as she looks through the house, she finds Schlocker's body with the girls and she bolts out of the house. These ladies fucking grab carving forks just instantaneously and they're just barreling out of her out of the house and and this is a sequence in the film where i was thinking to myself this is pretty fucking scary the idea yeah i was gonna say nothing says scary and nothing says horror film like women running for their lives oh yeah outside out of the house too Mm -hmm. like through the house and outside in nightgowns And, and the idea that it's these two teenage girls with these knives that are absolutely going to butcher her. And chasing someone in heels that is otherwise defenseless and not wearing a lot of clothes through countryside she's not familiar with. Mm -hmm. Very, very scary. And as she's running, she is encountered by Ralph, who wrestles her to the ground. And then when Elizabeth or Virginia catches up to them. Virginia, Virginia, yeah. she just sort of sighs looking down, and then she just says, Elizabeth. And then we cut away to it, and we as the audience would assume that Aunt Emily has met her demise. Yeah, we'd think that Ralph, knowing Ralph, the way he pounced on that cat, we're, that's what we're sort of expecting, that he must have pounced on Aunt Emily and, like, and, like taught her. her fucking throat open and drank her blood. You would think so. And by the way, while all this murder and mayhem are coming are going on, one of the things that we glossed over was where's Bruno in this entire scene? Well, Bruno left the house. And Bruno left the house because of the fact that he had seen that the girls had killed Schlocker. So he decided he was going to go get them a toy. A toy. And this is that very poignant scene that we were talking about where he tells the girls they seem very scared because they they're trying to say to Bruno he was gonna tell he was we had to and Bruno is like I know I know he definitely was gonna tell but when we kill one schlocker and more people like him are coming and they're gonna be meaner than he was and you can't kill them all and even though my attitude is like they'll fucking try (laughs) yeah yeah they could have a standoff they could become the Hewitt or Sawyer clan in this house Uh, yeah 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 but as he tearfully tells the girls uh, his story and the promise to their dad, and, and but then he has this realization that he has a way that can fix it all and we're all going to be together and don't you worry about it. And we can tell both by Lon Chaney's performance and what he's saying that he's sort of implicitly saying that I'm going to go get us a toy, a wonderful toy, and you guys are going to like it and it's going to basically fix everything. You can stay up late to see it. Yeah. Which makes them so happy because they tell any kid they get to stay up late and they're so excited. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can tell from the tears streaming down his face and his very, like I said, stoic performance. This is a final solution of one form or another. Yeah. And even though that they're, they don't want him to leave, he says, don't worry. I'll only be gone a few minutes. I'll be back and then we'll be fine. And don't worry about it. And that's when the girls get left alone with, um, and Emily and, and all that. But we have uh, another situation brewing. We did not uh, really um, factor in the fact that fucking Peter and Anne drinking like fucking fish all night. So late, in fact, that there's no vacancy at any of the motels. Yeah, which is kind of hilarious. 
It's sad that he's driving drunk, and he's drunk enough to screw up his words because they're continuing to talk about horror films on their way back. Yeah. But they have to come back to the house because there's nowhere else to stay. And, and at that point, they're drunk, so they don't care, and it's late. So they're going to find somewhere to stay if they have to crash on a couch. I guess that's what that's what the thinking would be. Mm-hmm. Peter being Peter, he'd probably sleep in the car or whatever. But yeah. they do come back, and the girls are very freaked out by this. Yeah, because they see the car pull up into the window, and their number one concern is like, "Oh no, they're gonna tell." Mm-hmm. But they're also kind of conflicted because they like Uncle Peter and the pretty lady. Yeah, they like them both. Like Peter has been very nice to all of them, and so they're kind of conflicted. Yeah, because they might not tell. Yeah, the pretty lady probably wouldn't tell. And like, it's it's neat to dial into that very very black and white infantile thinking. I really, really enjoy that about the girl's performance. Very, very believable and sucks you really into their their way of thinking. And you get a sense of their worry. And you sort of, you fear for Anne and Peter. But you're also wondering if this might be the, the twist, right? Where Peter and Anne befriend the girls and grow some sort of trust. Mm-hmm. Be that as it may, whether that pans out or not, we get some spider game hijinks in the meantime. That's true. Boner-inducing for Uncle Peter. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty damn sure. Listen, your Virginia is a very lovely lady, and she's kissing your neck and sitting on your lap, and I don't know, she man. She's tied to a chair. She's got she tied to a chair. Anne's been, been pulled away, uh, grabbed by uh, Ralph in the basement, although not before... She's menaced a little bit by Elizabeth, trying to sort of gauge her reaction about would she tell or whichever. But yeah, the, <laughs> like Uncle Peter definitely, as Virginia is resting on him, running her hands through his hair, that's where he's kind of getting like, we should probably play another game. Because it seems kind of sexual, at least from his perspective. I don't know if she really has the capacity to understand those levels and even if she were to have urges at the time jill banner was like 18 19 years old so i mean like you would assume that virginia would be in and about that age yeah when so i mean the character would likely have urges to that effect but whether she could understand them who knows but i really just think children do tend to do things that can be uh, taken as a sexual come on or something like that uh, totally innocently too so that's sort of what they're playing with i think here and they do it very very well although because it's in an 18 year old woman's body it's impossible for us to separate those things because if this had been a child doing the things that she was doing you might be able to be like oh she doesn't know at all what she's doing you can see a child caressing someone's breasts not quite accidentally maybe they were breastfed or something like that or someone grabbing someone by the face very very gently and intimately with both hands and saying very strange things to them children do very fucking weird things like this so they do ride that line very very well Mm -hmm. um and you you know people who are uncomfortable with a child sitting on a man's lap have something wrong to be thinking like that but the way that this child quote unquote would be sitting on this man's lap Mm-hmm. You could be very, very worried for that man because yeah. he could be getting very mixed signals because it's very impossible to tell what this 18-year-old infantilized woman is really trying to do. 
It's true. I mean, he certainly doesn't think that murder is on her mind, but she is asking if you like that pretty lady, do you like me? And she sits on his lap, pulls her skirt up so she you can see her legs. So what do you think of that? If that were an adult woman, you would know exactly what was on her mind. Not killing people, but sex, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, coming from somebody who has the mind of a 10-year-old it's girl. It's hard to say. It's very, very hard to say because that she's physically hit puberty, but mm-hmm. she hasn't mentally probably ever hit puberty because this affliction hits you about 10 years old. But then that's a sort of a dicey age right there, too, because you can pass into puberty and become very sexually aware at 10 years old Mm -hmm. i don't know it's such a brilliant scene Mm -hmm. because it does ride all of those lines Mm -hmm. Um, both what characters could be motivated to be thinking yeah it would because there's a moment where you're just like is she trying to seduce this man or is it just part – is it a kind of a seduction because she happens to like him, but she ultimately was always going to kill him, Or she's right? just trying to distract him for the moment, and this is how she figures would work best because he's an exactly, adult Exactly, because – yeah, and she's aware of how – that she's a beautiful young woman, so. Or is none of that in her mind, and she's just playing spider. Yeah, exactly. With we, someone who she likes to play spider with and isn't – killing yet anyway you yeah. know like yeah because at the end of the day she is going to kill him whether he is interested in her or not she does get the idea of his rejection in that but like bugs don't like spiders but then he's like i like spiders and i'm just like what are you saying now yeah are you saying that you want to have sex with this woman is that what you're saying or are you just saying that so that this little girl doesn't get upset yeah, yeah. Like, what? what is it that you're doing? Yeah, and, and I think it's really relying mostly on what character motivation is in the scene versus what is being shot by uh, Jack Hill and then what the audience is perceiving bringing their own baggage to that because the audience is bringing the baggage to the fact that these are two adults and this woman is acting like a kid, but she is not a kid and therefore this is sexual or are people really no 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 character wise this is non-sexual it yeah just, is it so which is more of what i'm inclined to believe because she hops off his, off his lap like no big deal i and, i think that's a game and it is a game i think it's a, a game where she is teetering on her own sexuality but i think that ultimately murder was always the end game of this yeah. always yeah and i don't think that it was whether or not he, ah, uh, yes, let us now make sweet, passionate love. I don't think that it would have changed anything. She would have stabbed him in the fucking neck, mm-hmm. which she was about to do until Elizabeth comes in. A little bit of a hitch, a little bit of a problem. We need your help in the basement, basically. <laughs> and the issue seems to be that Ralph has got the eyes for the ladies now. Uh, Which is hilarious. And 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 Anne is a very beautiful woman. She won't stop squiggling, though. She won't stop squiggling? I mean, I like that she is all dressed up and her just fucking blouse is, like, completely open now. And Ralph won't kill her, won't let her be killed. He's He likes her too much and he's holding on to her. Yeah, he won't let go. And if she lets go, if he lets go, she'll scream. So they can't do anything. Yeah, they, they're trying to figure out how to handle this situation. Meanwhile, Bruno is on his way and uh, now Peter left alone is struggling to 
get one of the knives that Virginia has left behind and cut his way out, of course, there are actual spiders infesting everywhere and there's tarantulas crawling over it. So he has to sort of wrestle with that. It's a pretty good scene. One of the things that I love a lot about this film is how Virginia herself very much believes herself to be a spider. And also this house is full of spiders, all kinds of spiders, big ones, little ones. And then she also eats spiders. So there's all this fucking shit going on, which is very unique to her because Ralph doesn't seem to have any association with any other animals aside from the fact that... Well, it must be dog because dog, Virginia well, barks at him all Yeah, Ralph, 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 him, Ralph, yeah. Ralph like, <laughs> yeah. And very much talks to him like a dog. And he, he chases cats. He does chase cats. Elizabeth seems to be more embodying a little girl to me. Maybe it's the pigtails and shit like that that makes her seem more infantile to me. Like um, a little girl playing house, like a little mummy, little baby mummy. Exactly, exactly. That's what like, it seems like she and, is. and it also helps that, you know, Bruno's like, now you're in charge, Elizabeth. You have to mind your sister and mind your brother. Like, make sure that they're listening to you. Yeah, that's what she seems to be playing the little mom. Yeah, and and also... Middle child usually does end up in that role as it is. Like, it's true. And not only that, but but when Elizabeth is unhinged, when she's unleashed, she's so much more feverently aggressive than any anyone else, right? Because Virginia is very quiet, very... Well, like a spider. Like a sneak, like a clever. And, and even when she's attacking... She's still kind of quiet and kind of calm, but she's still like, there's very, she's a lot of, she's exerting a lot of force when she's killing. But like Elizabeth is screaming in right yeah. rage when she's killing, right? So. And then the crying and the apologizing and the making up for it afterward and the promising. Yeah, like, oh, I'm and, so sorry. We didn't mean to. Like, yeah. just doe eyed and, and kneeling and hugging arms and just trying to be as cute and as innocent as possible. So it's like, how could you be mad at the, those hound dog expressions? Mm -hmm. Or Virginia just is very matter of fact about that she was playing Spider. Yeah. And he got pinched. Well, I can tell you who else got pinched. In the heart. Oh, God. Because guess what? Aunt Emily's not fucking dead at all. Which makes no sense to me unless your explanation is the real explanation. Oh, it's the real explanation. I'd like to think that she's just lost her mind with fear entirely. No, it's she's totally 100% dick drunk. She's dick drunk on that love. I've never heard the term dick drunk till today. I never want to hear the term dick drunk ever again. <laughs> I don't know if this is clinically possible to become dick drunk. I wish she weren't. I'd like to think she's just traumatized. Well, dear listeners. Maybe hit her head on a rock. It's true. It could be happening. No, she's dick drunk. Listeners, this is what happens. You have her getting pounced on by Ralph, who was watching her parade around in lingerie. And then she wakes up unharmed in a field, just wistfully head to her forehead, getting up and just, Ralph, Ralph, just, and then she just gets up and just dreamily floats around the yard, just looking for Ralph, who I guess fucks like a beast. Crazy in the head, dot, dot, dot. Isn't that how the saying goes? I, I can't, and it's so strange to me because if we're talking about the fact that I don't think that Virginia has much of a capacity for sex and love, even though she probably has 
desires. That's a real tricky situation. Who knows? Mm Mm-hmm. Ralph is so beyond his own faculties. Entirely. And he is older as well. So maybe those two things when someone has Mary syndrome really do conflict where their sexuality progresses along with their age, but their ferocity and their infantilism and their ability to even even act adult at all regresses to the point. And, but those two things are still very, very together where he is a sexual being with sexual desires and capital N needs and no barrier to stop him from acting on them. Yeah. And she liked it, liked it a lot. Mm. She liked it so much that when she saw Ralph grabbing Anne with her blouse open, she goes crazy. Yeah, a fit of jealous rage. And grabs Ralph by the fucking face and tries to kill him almost. And then she gets dragged down into the pit of Uncle Ned. (laughs) Which doesn't sound unsexy. No, especially when she lies like a fucking glamour model while other bodies climb. This is where the cannibal orgy, I think, is coming from. Yeah, because I couldn't figure out... Uh, the liver eaters attack of the liver eaters is another alternate title which I never really understood because they don't fucking eat liver um, I guess if you consume an entire body of, an, of a person you are cannibalizing and in effect eating their liver eventually somehow unless yeah. you discard it accidentally but someone at a glance might not know that and still consider you a liver eater I don't get it because mm. I like liver and there's nothing wrong with the liver eaters this is like clearly vilifying liver eaters yeah especially people who eat the heart of an animal or the neck my mom Eat, ate that stuff on turkeys all the time. Oh, Loved totally. My sister had a deer neck not long ago, and she yeah. said it was great. Do you think it's? Do they think it's scarier if you specify like skin eaters, something like that? I is guess that so. is, is that scarier? Well, yeah, in a cannibal movie is pretty scary, but a cannibal orgy that's terrifying. Yeah, I know because you're or like sexy. I, I don't know what to think. Yeah, is, my dick's super hard. Are you gonna bite it off? That's exactly where I'm thinking, too, because it sounds way sexier than it is. But then when you see the people in the pit, it's not sexy at all. You don't really want to have an orgy down there. No. You know, I, I wouldn't consider Ralph being any sort of orgy participant. He seems to be a one-girl kind of guy. Well, one at a time, anyway. So, like, the cannibal orgy, I can see where that title would have come from. Or just, like, an orgy of food, like... A dinner time, a huge group dinner could be considered an orgy of some sort because it's a lot of people having all sorts of uh, orgastic experiences with their gastronomic happiness. I have no idea. But I don't know. Like, no orgy actually happens. We don't see any cannibalism. No, but we also don't see actual murder. It's all implied. Mm-hmm. We, Although we do see some slashing, some stabbing, but... That's what I'm talking about with this film really toes the line between seeing death in front of us in a very graphic way. I mean, listen, we have uh, in 1964, Psycho had happened. Fucking Blood Feast had happened, right? So it's not as though films were not violent, but this really does have this fucking odd maverick indie horror sensibility of Night of the Living Dead with also William Castle-type horror elements in it at the same time. It's this really interesting... Plus almost a Mondo feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. got a really neat blend. 
And yeah. it's safe for kids of 2017 because it's really got no swearing. It's got no guns. It's got no real overt violence. Everything's implied. If they don't know the meaning of the word incest, then you might be good to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Not even actual boobies. Not even actual boobies, although a lot of cleavage. Well, we see a lot of cleavage when we walk down the road. That's true. Life More cleavage, actually. Life is R-rated, people. You Life remember that. is R-rated. Thank you, Wes, for reminding our listeners of that very important fact. This film, however, isn't really... So it's hard for me to believe that Ralph fucked Aunt Emily to the point that she got dick drunk and then flew into a jealous rage. Because, yeah, if, if she got jumped, even if she did survive, what she should be doing is running down the road. The only other thing that I could possibly think, and go with me on this, mm -hmm. if we are going to assume that Ralph did not... Fuck her into oblivion, got her all dick drunk, and now she's jealous that she thinks that her lover, Ralph, who she called a baboon not more than 90 minutes ago, mm -hmm. then the only other thing that I could think of is that when he grabbed her, he bit her and somehow transferred this syndrome into her that started manifesting itself. She is a Mary, she is even a Mary. though distantly related. She's a how, but she's a Mary, yeah. So that's the only thing that I can think of. And for whatever reason, he spared her. Mm -hmm. And when she awoke, her mind had already started to regress because she is well past the age of puberty. That's the only thing that I can think of. Yeah. That That is a non-sexual Thank you for thing. thinking of that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. No, he probably did have sex with her because he'd probably gotten very excited watching her. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and dance in front of a mirror. And, so and now long. he's like, well, I like pretty ladies. And therefore, Anne is a pretty lady. Therefore, I want to keep her for myself. And who knows? That sort of behavior could have been going on. Like I'm picturing some sort of like zombie orgy scene uh, from Dead Alive. That yeah. could be what happens in this basement on a nightly basis with Ralph included. Who mm -hmm. knows? And maybe that's even where the children come from. It could very well be. Yeah. It could very well be. Crazy state of affairs in this household. Well, I tell you... It's going to blow the fuck up. Oh? Yep, that's right. Because guess who's back? The man behind the mask? <laughs> yeah, he can hear you coming, so run away if you can. Where Bruno had gone was down the road. Mm -hmm. There was, They're building a new highway. Aren't they always building a new highway near these creepy houses full of people? Hell yeah, they yeah. are. And they've been doing some blasting. And this is a nice little bit of filmmaking that Jack Hill had put into the script where we have it's not like where do you get the dynamite we know where we got the dynamite because there was a scene earlier in the film where they had to wait for the highway to be done blasting so it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could go there it's not that far away get dynamite that's been unattended and get back especially if they're doing it in the middle of the night and back then they probably weren't as careful with keeping explosives safe at in the evenings and people weren't as used to like creepy crawling i guess the manson family people would call it mm -hmm. but like just vandalizing stuff and people getting into stuff and it's kind of like out of the way in, in the supposed countryside so you wouldn't think anyone would take it it could be under lock and key but that's really easily taken care of with some bolt cutters 
uh, does have an Adams Family feel to it. When they are stopped on the highway near the beginning of the movie with that explosion, I'd even written in my notes something about, ah, we're finally at home with the Adams Family entirely because there's explosions. Um, <laughs> where would they get dynamite? Pugsley's room. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if this were the Adams Family, there'd be dynamite everywhere. So it fits really well with this like grown-up Adams Family aesthetic that we've got kind of growing in our theory here. But he had to go down the road to get it, so he's finally back with the toy. Yep, the toy. And in the meantime, Uncle Peter has freed himself from the chair, and he has gone down, at the very least, to get Anne out of there. Bruno comes downstairs, and he's super excited. By the way, man, Uncle Ned and... Shit, they and are Clara and the other aunt. Yeah, they're they're free. Fucking, um, they're free and they're feral now because they've been fed a lot of meat tonight. Yeah, it's true. And the girls are just like, oh, it's Uncle Ned. Check it out. Which looks quite a bit like Leatherface to me. He looks like Uncle Ned. Looks like he has um, Ambras syndrome to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. You know the the werewolf syndrome where you grow all that fur on your yeah, face. Yeah, looks like that to me. I thought he was wearing a mask. It, it, like, it definitely looked like a mask, but I thought, like, it was supposed to be that, though. You Crazy. Know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I don't, genetic disorder. Yeah, I don't know, like, if that was the idea or if they're just like, this will just make them look more feral or we're trying to make them look monstrous. One of the women looked like she had, like, a crude eye patch on, too. Maybe so. they were just covered in gore from feasting on dead bodies for hours. It's true. And plus, like, they just sit in the basement, right? Like, yeah. the fucking people under the stairs. So I don't think that they... One have... of the aunts was wearing a nightgown, which I thought was kind of cute. No wonder the girls spend so much time in nightgowns. That's what their mm-hmm. peers do. Yeah, hell yeah. But then what we learn is that he's like, this is going to make a big flash and a big boom, and you guys are going to love it. And so Elizabeth and Virginia and, and Ralph, they seem enamored with this idea, and he lights that shit up like a birthday candle. And then... Peter is like, all right, all right, I'm, I'm trying to get out of here and, and takes Anne with him. And then when Uncle Ned and Aunt Claire and them are sort of lumbering towards him, in one of my favorite, second favorite acting moments, because Lon Chaney's speech about his obligation to the family is just fucking heartbreaking and an amazing acting performance, period. But one of my favorite subtle things that Lon Chaney does in this film is when they're lumbering towards him as the dynamite is burning down, he just kind of looks at them and gives like a shrug, like a, shrug. A, yeah. a little bit of a shrug and a, and a weak smile. And then kaboom, everything, the, the Mary family is destroyed. Or... Are they? Question mark. <laughs> Peter, who's been narrating the beginning, there's a bit of a wraparound here because Peter sat us down with the book. With his book of, of uh, Dictionary of Rare and Strange Diseases? Rare and Peculiar Diseases. Oh, sorry. Because yeah, it's the 50s. I had to old, 10 I... cents word when a oh, penny word would do. <laughs> yeah, he's written the section in that book on the Mary Syndrome, which doesn't exist anymore. It died out, thankfully, 10 years ago on that fateful day. Um, but he, we're reintroduced to him at the end because he is the sole survivor. And he's inherited that vast estate. Him and his wife, Anne, who yep. we've met, yeah, <laughs> uh, have been married. And they have a daughter. They do. She's adorable. Very adorable. Has an interest in spiders. Yes. And she looks quite a bit to me like her Uncle Ralph. She does. She does. I know that you had said that people apparently watching this film say that she looked like Virginia. I mean, aside from being brunette, she doesn't really look like Virginia at all. No. If she were to look like any of the Marys, I guess not uncle, but her cousin, uh, look like 
Ralph very, very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adorable little girl, but she has a little bit of a vacancy to her eyes, and she's about that age where the Mary syndrome would start taking hold. So, of course, her father wouldn't have noticed it by now, mm-hmm. thinking they're so distantly related. But then if Emily did succumb, like your second theory, because I know you like the theory of Ralph just boning her, and Ralph making her so dick drunk <laughs> that within like a 10-minute wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, she became filled with jealous rage over the idea of him boning another girl. Yeah. Or even, like, clutching another girl. Yeah, someone that she found repugnant moments before. A baboon. A baboon. Yeah. If that is the case, then it can manifest in the Howe family. Mm Mm-hmm. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. The end? Question mark. Which leaves it open to the idea of a sequel so, so badly, which I don't know if that's being kicked around. I know remakes are being kicked around. Yeah. And some people would consider any one of Rob Zombie's movies some sort of Spider-Baby remake. (laughs) Sherry Moon Zombie apparently is a Spider-Baby remake. She seems to be channeling a little bit of it. But then again, we've seen lots of movies with rampant teenage girls with knives chasing people. Psychotic adult women that do seem to act and think like a young girl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which I think is great. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Spider Baby, and I'd love to see a remake of this. And I think about that when I see it. Some of the kill scenes could be made so much more brutal. I wouldn't want to hypersexualize it, though, and I know that that would be the proclivity of today's filmmakers. I think that it, I, I agree with you on that one. I think that it would be pushed farther. I think what Spider Baby is to me, first of all, being a damn good fucking movie, any way you slice it, yeah. there's amazing uh, performances by everyone across the board. Both uh, the performances by Beverly Washburn and Jill Banner are absolutely amazing. They really do carry this film because they're in a lot of the scenes. And then the indelible Lon Chaney Jr. doing, as I've said 10 times before in this podcast, his best work. And that's nothing to say about everyone really doing their job pretty well. Sid Haig doing a lot of physical acting here. Uh, and a lot's required of him to do that, too. And and because of the period in which it was released, the period in which it was made, it's just such a unique beast to me. And I think historically for horror, it becomes incredibly important as something that I need to turn people's attention to because it wasn't so cut and dry the change in horror wasn't this is the message movie this is where it changed and we're going this in direction till the end of time now there were weird movies like this that were kind of both wanting to be something new trying to find that new horror audience but still adhering to a lot of the old rules as opposed to one day having filmmakers that just would throw those rules in the garbage and do something different. But what Jack Hill created with Spider Baby is a huge fucking accomplishment in horror. And although I would find that really interesting to remake because I would like to see color and more brutal kills and and let's see what we can do with a modern audience. And not a lot of people know this movie, so it's not sacrilegious to people. Bring it to the interest of people, even if it would be sacrilegious to some people, and I'm sure it it always is going to be. But cultists, yeah. But but again, it will draw more people's attention to the original. Definitely. And, and I think that's a good thing. And so I'd be really interested to see a remake. But I mean, fuck do I love this movie. And, and, and I think historically it's incredibly important. So 
I'm also like, oh, I don't know. But like we said before, remakes serve as commercials for the originals. Definitely. And it could go very well and it could go very bad. Yeah. It could. And who knows how that's going to go if it does get made. And I know that Jack Hill himself was helming the project of the remake, mm-hmm. which would have been brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I really hope that that somehow gets out of whatever hit it hit in production. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be really, really interesting to see if oh, he has yeah. some sort of hand or if anyone involved, even if Sid Haig himself had a hand, because he seems to really hold this fairly dear as his... Oh, absolutely. And I would love to see if they did a remake, I'd love to see like a little Sid Haig cameo. He could he could, you know, play the courier. Yeah, play the courier yeah. or something like that. Or or one of the people in the basement. That'd be cool, right? He would even be. Yeah, that would be definitely cool, especially if he didn't get a reveal to the very end of like he's been there all along. Because you sort of see shadowy images Yeah. or he could play uh, Schlocker. If you throw some really creative makeup and shave a guy. Yeah, shave the guy if he would even sit for a shave. I don't know. I'd have to. That would be really cool to see. I'd love to see Sid Haig all shaved up and tidy and cleaned up. I don't know if he'd be if into he's it. He's capable of it. Who knows? Yeah, but I mean, you could get a, you could get a lot of uh, cameos for here. Aside from uh, uh, a few actors, obviously that have passed away. Poor Jill Banner died when she was quite young, thirty five years old, in a car accident. But um, there's other actors. I mean, Beverly Washburn's still around. Get her in there, like. Yeah, put her in the basement too. Put her in the basement too. Put everyone in the basement. Yeah, put them all in the basement. You could definitely do that. Or if you wanted to do a straight up sequel after all these years, do one. I mean, you set it up. I like the the thing I like the most is that we've disproven all sorts of older horror film ideas and premises um, with science and learned a lot more about hereditary illnesses and madness and psychopathy yeah we've learned a lot we've learned ourselves out of a lot of old fears the mary syndrome was entirely made up that's just it really go wherever you want with it and it Mm -hmm. can really still infect people exactly the same way in this Mm -hmm. day and age and they're vague enough about it Mm -hmm. they just tell you what happens they don't really go into too much detail i think the vagueness really helps but yeah if they were to try to pass this off as an actual disease that is in real life, I mean, this movie would become incredibly embarrassingly dated, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's bad enough that they they throw around words like retarded and shit like that, but I mean, whatever. Well, they're kind of retarded, uh, fully grown every day of school, Wes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you you hear those lines and you're like, wow, the script wouldn't be written that way today. Unfortunately, but, this in defense of the word retarded in this context in yeah. this film, because they're aging backwards mm-hmm. it's not even being used in the context of where people would have applied that word uh, erroneously to somebody who's developmentally delayed or has a physical delay of some sort or impairment but these children the mary syndrome basically is a retardation of your aging process mentally mm-hmm. um and, and that word is just so pointed now where back then yeah it was the the word du jour that was there were schools for retarded children that was the retarded word and stuff like that so used in this context it makes so much sense it's the only word that could unfortunately be applied at the time and they sort of very forward thinking chastise the use of that word by explaining it like never you know fully grown never day of school and he says no it's their their mental faculties have regressed that's what slowed down so he explains the word in a textbook meaning it's almost as if hill himself had been offended by that word he'd come back from the year 
you know, 1990 to nowadays, <laughs> time traveled and brought his offense with him or something. Uh, because they, oddly enough, use the word correctly for once. That's like never happened historically in the entire fucking life of human beings. Anyway, sorry, I went on a big rant, the big semantics rant there. You got you got all semantic drunk on us. I did get semantic drunk. <laughs> Give me some Noam Chomsky. I need to read about my words. I need an etymological dictionary stat. Yeah, entom. <laughs> entom. Fuck. I can't etymological even... or entomological? Are we talking about spiders or words here? God damn it. What do we got next for him? Coming up next, we have Dark Water. Because there's been no story on the Salisa Hotel and the Alyssa Lamb drowning, we might as well watch Dark Water, which is the next best thing. <laughs> That's right. We'll be checking out the little talked about Hideo Nakata film where he's handling dead wet girls again, but it's not Sadako. I still wish that he had done the Entity remake, really, truly, because that was what got my attention with the idea of a remake for that years and years ago. Anyway, so yeah, Dark Water. I don't know, it reminds me a lot of Single White Female from for some reason. I can see that. Yeah. But it's not till after that case of Elisa Lam where people saw parallels. I haven't watched the film since the Elisa Lam case broke, so I'm very interested to see it again. Uh, having heard all these theories that the dark water was a premonition of the Elisa Lam murder slash unfortunate event. That's right. Well, just to let you guys know, Spider Baby was technically a request by my mother, even though I have no recollection of it. And it's probably a lie. It's probably not a lie. And thank you very much because we had a lot of fun with it. If you guys are interested in throwing us a request about a movie you wanted us to do, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Wes Deadairnipe. Or even bother Lydia at Typical Lydia. Or bother Wes. You can also check out our website at splatterpictures.net and you can leave comments there. You can comment directly on SoundCloud or wherever you hang out online. Oh, <laughs> that was a Dead Cells reference, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry, that was my Dead Cells sign off. If you guys like horror and anime, why don't you check out Lydia's little neglectorino, the Dead Cells podcast. It's like five minutes of anime and horror just for you. And then after that, we have Pulse, which is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're getting into a little Asian horror, so I'm pretty happy about that. That's right. We're going to infect your internet with ghosts. So I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. Some might say the ghost with the most. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>